Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, it's Good Shepherd Sunday, this fourth Sunday of Easter, when we consider this great image of Jesus as shepherd. It's one of the most enduring and endearing images of Jesus in the whole tradition. The shepherd who protects and gathers and lays down his life for his sheep. In fact, some of the earliest depictions we have of the Lord show him precisely in this aspect. I've said before that we don't have depictions of the, of the cross till much, much later in the Christian tradition. But very early on, they loved the image of the Good Shepherd. Well, our gospel reading for this Sunday is extremely short. In fact, one of the shortest gospels we have in the whole liturgical year. But, but it is packed with theological and spiritual significance. We first hear of a voice. The Lord says, My sheep hear my voice. What is it, everybody, about a voice? John Henry Newman said that sometimes a text can leave us cold, but a voice can melt us. You know what he's talking about? You read an argument in a text. He's like, yeah, I kind of get it. But then somebody, maybe speaking the same argument, somebody speaks to you. There's something about their voice that causes the heart to melt. Think of one of my heroes, Frank Sinatra, simply called The Voice. And it's true, Sinatra, even as an old man, you, you hear that voice. And they say the musicians in the orchestra would just put down their instruments because they just wanted to listen to that voice. I always think, too, um, of my own mother. I can still hear her voice reading to me when I was a kid. She was great at reading to my brother and me when we were little kids. And I can still hear her voice. And occasionally, when I'm reading a book even now, you know, so many years later, I'll hear my mother's voice uh, reading it. See, how wonderful and strange that Christianity is not a set of ideas. It's not a philosophy or an ideology. Now, it can use philosophy. I love philosophy, and the church uses it, of course. But it's not in itself a philosophy like Platonism or like uh, existentialism. Rather, Christianity, deep down, is a relationship with someone, someone who has a voice. You go right back, everybody, to the beginning of Christianity. It doesn't start in the musings of a philosopher or the uh, speculation of a social theorist or something. Christianity begins with this little band of people that sat at the feet of this Yeshua from Nazareth, and they heard his voice. St. Paul says that faith comes from hearing. I always love that line. It's, it's very rich. Faith doesn't well up from the interior. It doesn't, it doesn't come from philosophical musing. It comes from hearing. Fides ex auditu, he says. Faith comes from hearing. The first disciples were privileged to hear the voice of the historical Jesus. And I've often wondered about that. What did he sound like? 
they heard its very particular tonality and texture. I bet they, how could they have ever forgotten the sound of his voice? But here's the point. We too now, 2,000 years later, we're still the sheep of his, of his fold. We too hear his voice in our own way. When we hear the scriptures proclaimed at Mass, mind you, as Catholics, we don't just read the Bible. I'm all in favor of reading the Bible. Don't get me wrong. I think we should do more reading of the Bible. But see, the privileged place to encounter the Bible for Catholics is at Mass, where we hear the Bible. We hear the voice of the Lord. We also, as Catholics, hear the voice of Jesus when the bishops and popes speak to us. Again, I'll quote uh, my great hero, John Henry Newman, here. Newman, who was a great scholar, especially of the church fathers, always loved the Bible. Even when he was an Anglican, his, his preaching is filled with the Bible. But yet, what Newman was hungry for, he realized, was the living voice of the church. And he said only the Catholic Church claims to have that living voice, and it was the voice of the bishops and finally of the Pope, which for Newman was the only way to adjudicate the disputes within the church. If we just keep appealing to the Bible, well, we all read the same Bible, we disagree. If we appeal to the church fathers, well, there's a lot of different points of view, but there's a living voice that still rings out all these centuries later. So when the bishops and popes, we hear the voice of Jesus. Again, staying with Newman, we also hear the voice of Jesus in the conscience. It's Newman called beautifully the aboriginal vicar of Christ in the soul. Boy, spend a, a day or spend a retreat with that line. The aboriginal vicar of Christ in the soul is the conscience. You know how strange, really, that we call the conscience a voice, don't we? You know, we have a lot of kind of inner feelings and convictions. Let's say you're, you got a good feel for works of art and you say, no, that, that's no good. It just it doesn't suit my eye or it, it doesn't correspond to my feelings of what a good work of art should be. Or someone's got a feel for, you know, for good cooking or a feel for a good golf swing or whatever it is. Well, we refer to those maybe as instincts or we, as, as a feel for something. But yet, weirdly, we don't refer to our sense of morality as simply a feel or an instinct. We call it a voice, as though someone were speaking to us in it. When you face a moral decision, should I do that or not? And I hear the voice of my conscience saying yes or no. Somehow we know, and again, this is Newman, that in responding to that voice or violating it, we are pleasing or offending someone. You know what I'm saying? Let's say I, I draw a picture and it's not very good. And I say, oh gosh, that's terrible. It violates my sense of aesthetics. Okay, fair enough. Or, boy, that was, a, that was a bad golf swing. That guy's really off plane, and he came over the top, and it's a bad golf swing. But see, when I make a bad golf swing, I don't feel like I've offended somebody, <laughs> right? When I, if I do a bad drawing, I don't feel I've offended anybody. I might be disappointed with what I did. But yet, when I do something morally wrong, it's beyond just, oh, gosh, that was aesthetically unpleasing. What I feel is, no, no, I've, I've hurt somebody whom I love and who loves me, or when I do something right, 
I'm not just exulting in the aesthetic value of what I've done. I'm, I'm, I'm exulting in the fact that I pleased someone whom I want to please. So all that's a way of saying, in the conscience, we hear the voice of the shepherd. We can hear the voice of Jesus, too, in, in good spiritual friends, in those people who comfort us and challenge us and keep calling us to higher ideals, encourage us when we fall. Think of your, your mom or your dad, your wife, your husband, your, your kids, maybe. They can all be the voice of Jesus speaking to us. You know, ancient people uh, knew this spontaneously, but we have to study it and learn it. But they, they knew that sheep didn't respond to voices not belonging to the shepherd. So sheep, as kind of innocent and, and frankly stupid as they are, uh, were able to distinguish the voice of their shepherd. So a lot of sounds and voices going on around them, but they would respond only to their shepherd's voice. They were able to distinguish it. So must we, amidst the cacophony of voices around us. Think for a second here, everybody, of you know every show and song and movie and politician and, and cultural leader, they're all voices representing different points of view and urging us in different directions. I think now with the social media and all that stuff, you know, the young people today, they grow up amidst this cacophony of voices. Whom do you follow? Whom do you listen to? Well, those who are trained in the Christian life get a feel for, a capacity to discern the voice of Jesus amidst all these competing voices. You know, the experience, let's say you're, you're following the advice of the latest you know, guru or something. And you say, yeah, okay, yeah, that's, that's okay what he's saying. And yeah, that makes some sense there. But then you, no, 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 that thing he just said, that's not it. That's not right. Well, see, that's your discerning. That's not the voice of the shepherd. That's not the voice of the master. Let's say you're reading a great author like a G.K. Chesterton or a Dante or, you know, C.S. Lewis or Newman, those people. Part of what is attracting you is not just the elegance of their prose and, and the deafness of their metaphors and all that. What's attracting you is that you're hearing the voice of Jesus in them, right? You're discerning, yep, yep, that's it. You read um, The Lord of the Rings, you know, and a great adventure story and all that. But if your ears have been, have been trained, like a musician's ears are trained, your ears are trained, you begin to hear, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's the voice of Jesus. I, I hear that now. And like a good sheep, I'm able to follow the shepherd. Okay. Now, what does the Lord say next in this very brief gospel? He says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. So here's the thing, everybody. Listen. Why are we listening to Christ and discerning his voice and following him? Well, it's true. We become better people thereby. You know, we become more ethically upright. We indeed begin to work more and more for justice we become, indeed, more committed to the ways of peace and brotherhood. and All that's true. All that's true. But if that's all there is to it, it's no different than following any guru or spiritual teacher. How come we listen to Jesus and endeavor with all of our souls to follow his voice? 
because he is leading us to eternal life, to a renewed and transformed life on high with God, the life of heaven where we shall, I'm quoting here, never perish. Whereas I was arguing last week, sickness and death have no more power over us, where we see God face to face. See, we can't forget the properly supernatural ambition of Christianity. That's where the good shepherd is leading us. Heaven and earth are always connected in the biblical imagination. That's true. Now, don't fall into that dualist trap. We do indeed pray, you know, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. True, true, true. However, heaven should never be reduced to earth. As though religion is simply about this worldly ethics or social justice or psychological well-being. No, no, the Christian faith is about a journey that will lead eventually to the heavenly Jerusalem, to eternal life. Everything in Christian life, from our ethical behavior to the liturgy to the works of justice, all of it's meant to conduce to that end. So hang on, hang on. Listen to the good news from this gospel. No one can take you out of the hand of Jesus. Except yourself. I mean, you can say, no, I don't want to cooperate with this. But see, if you hear the voice of the Lord, you allow him to grab you by the hand. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Because that hand, that voice, they're going to lead you to eternal life. That's why we listen for the voice of the Good Shepherd. That's why we follow him with all our hearts. God bless you, everybody. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.